0: As top entrepreneurs who really want to make a difference, there are two things that we have to do extremely well. We have to communicate effectively, and we have to do it in a way of persuading, to really influence, to make a difference. We have to inspire our clients and our future clients to take action to solve their challenges, their concerns. And you know what? Some of us could do it better. I know I can. And today, I've got a remarkable entrepreneur, a fellow entrepreneur, who is an expert at doing this. I mean, Steve Forbes, and uh, I've had Steve on uh, a number of webinars and uh, some of the books we've written about uh, uh, my partner, he's done the forwards for, and and I gotta tell you, this is quite an honor. Our, Our next guest, he talks about as the grand master of persuasion and communication. That is a high level. And he's been on 120 radio shows, podcasts. And what I I really like, no matter what political persuasion you have, whether it's NPR or Fox or anything in between, he's covered them all. And he is that expert that you've looked for to help persuade, inspire your clients to take action. You do not want to miss this. I am John Bowen founder of AES Nation. We're all about accelerating your entrepreneurial success. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this.
1: Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs.
0: Dig deep. Think bold. Drive hard. Watch yourself soar beyond your dreams aesnation.com. Dave, I am so excited to have you here with us today. Uh, I haven't really gotten to know you other than in your writings, your videos, and I think we're kindred spirits because of all the things that you're doing. Having you know the strong legal tax and estate planning, building a very successful uh, practice, but also really going out and making a difference well beyond that with a passion, a purpose in life that you have of this communication, and persuasion, and then being willing to share you know, with our fellow entrepreneurs. So thank you very much.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. They're both passions. I'm, uh, I'm very interested in and work with a lot of smart, intelligent, entrepreneurial people who've built wealth. And I learned a long time ago, just in the early training as an interrogator and then later as an attorney. You know, there are certain ways that people make decisions about who they're going to listen to and who they're going to trust. And I love sharing both of those sets of skills with people. So my pleasure to be here.
0: Well, excellent. Now, uh, Dave, what I'd love to do, because everybody wants to know the backstory of how I mean, you know, it's not that often that I interview uh, tax and estate, what we call private client lawyers and have them really be so entrepreneurial. It's actually, we've done studies on attorneys. It's a very small percentage that are that. And you know, so many are technicians and you've taken it. It's one thing to be entrepreneurial, but you've taken one of the most important parts the communication, persuasion for your fellow entrepreneurs and really made that a passion and a purpose. How, how do you, um, you know, give us a little backstory before we go into some of the lessons that we can take and actually apply. This
1: sort of started in earnest when I turned 16. I moved away from home. I went as an exchange to New Zealand and Australia. So I went about as far away on the globe as I possibly could without starting to come back. And uh, as a kid, it was very interesting because you had this new start. There weren't the same preconceived notions. And uh, by then I had really started to pay attention to the sort of things that people said and how they interacted with me and how I could be influential and I got better and better at that, but largely just through trial and error. Then when I came back to the United States and went to school, I spent a lot of time studying with people who made this their business to really understand how people communicated, why they made decisions, and, and uh, so I got better. Uh, as is so often the case, you were just telling me a story about shooting and having a Navy SEAL instructor. A lot of times just getting that uh, expert who really knows how to teach the few things that make a big difference Uh, catapulted me and I had some great teachers in the area of persuasion and influence and uh, you know then I, I went to law school that was reinforced I saw the same issues playing out in a different way and you're right most people that do what I do they have a high level of technical expertise but it's really hard for them to get from the client what's important they think that just the taxes matter and the client a lot of times thinks all sorts of other things like protecting their kids from divorce matter more And uh, there's not only the the piece of getting information from the client, but then teaching the client, sharing with the client what their options are under this very technical tax system and then putting that all together. So years of doing that made me good. And uh, it shows because I've developed a very large client base within this firm of very affluent wonderful people that I get to work with and that's a tribute I think to the fact that I pay a lot of attention to them and then I use the skills I'm gonna that you and I are gonna teach today and talk about
0: today to in the marketing of that practice Um. Yeah, you know, this is so powerful, uh, Dave, because one of the things I don't have the statistics at hand, but we we do all kinds of research on the affluent and, you know, the actions they're taking. And one of the biggest concerns they have, it's actually number three in our research is taking care of the errors. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about here is your background and you know this is it's so easy to be think that how important technical skills are and that's all that counts and and i got to tell you uh we just completed a survey of successful business owners and a very large percentage i think it was the major- majority actually put a plan together and didn't execute. And this is, you know, it's and there were a lot of different reasons, but they just felt uncomfortable with the main thing. And this is for all our fellow entrepreneurs. This is where communication, persuasion, you know, you've got to listen and capture to do a great job technically. And everybody that's watching or listening to this podcast does do, you know, a great job. I'm going to just assume that. But if you don't really hear what the needs are, the clients, the concerns and then then come up with a solution. We've got to keep avoiding that hammer, whatever hammer we have, you know, trying to solve it. And, you know, I, I could see why you've really gone to this persuasion. Well, what
1: happened was I was uh, uh, asked by a company to come in and speak to a number of their retiring executives about the technical piece. And I arrived that day. I was substituting for a lawyer from a great big firm who was away on vacation. And the HR VP came up to me and they said, what's all this sound equipment? And I said, we're going to have dancing. <laughs> and he became very alarmed. He thought, oh, no, I'm going to lose no, my I, job.
0: I could just see that, like, I made a terrible mistake. How it's you, just, know, <laughs> it's yeah, this, you don't bring an attorney in for dance lessons. You don't do dance lessons, period, with the executive group. Exactly. So
1: anyway, they had a wild time, nothing like what they expected. And he got rave reviews back. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, listen, I want you to work with a different team. Who goes out and does these road shows for the company? And I want you to help show them the techniques you were using here to teach and to be persuasive. And he said, You know, how much would this be? So I thought about it and I thought how long I'd be out of the office. And I came up with a number, I forget what it was. So, you know, like $2,500 or something. And he laughed at me and said, No, really, what, how much? And so I knew that I was on to something, that I had a skill set and I'd been thinking a lot about it and I was capable of teaching it. And so I developed this series of programs and uh, one of the most interesting things is that people are they say they want to be more persuasive and more influential, but they associate those things so much with manipulation. So one of the things that we have to confront both in the course of the programs and when we're selling them is this idea that that somehow manipulation is a bad thing. And so I always when I'm selling this program to conferences or conventions or to a company, I always say, look everything you ever do or say any way you act non-verbally verbally verbally, it's all manipulation all human communication is manipulation you might be trying to entertain somebody you might be trying to get them to do something to learn something you might be trying to get them to do something that they've got to do to keep their job you might be able to you might be trying to get kids to develop self-discipline whatever it might be you're just plain old manipulating them so you have to get this idea out of your head that that's a bad thing what really matters
0: is what's the intention
1: that people bring to it. And once
0: that's what I was going to say, I, You know, it's, it is, you know, you can do it for good and you can do it for evil. And, sure. and it's it's so important. Um, you know, nothing gets done unless somebody persuades someone to take action. And, you know, people want you to help guide them along the way, no matter whether you're selling widgets or professional services. And this is a mistake. I think, you know, we're all trying to build that better mousetrap and solution, but we don't have that client pathing or success pathing where we can actually, I like inspire people, you know, we're saying the same thing. It's persuade, but inspire to take action. It it just makes such a difference. And, And that's really what we're going to be doing today. People are
1: really set in their ways. They love homeostasis, and there are good bioevolutionary reasons why they do. So once you found a cave that was safe and there was a vent at the top where the smoke could go out, there was a little bit of water, you did not want to leave that cave because there were dangerous creatures out there. And Bob, caveman Bob, when he'd leave, sometimes you'd hear screaming in the night and he'd never come back. And so there are all kinds of good reasons that once we find a place where we're safe, that we don't want to change. It's way harder to get people to change or inspire them to take action than we think. And if we realized, if we looked at ourselves and realized how hard it is to get ourselves to do it, we'd also realize that we are just taking that for granted. We're not giving that piece enough time with people. And by focusing on that and creating systems that, as you say, create a sort of lubricated path to success, uh, boy, you get much better results. And it's very interesting. We found the same thing. Uh, One of our central selling features is that um, people originally, when they came to us for not persuasion training, but for legal matters, for estate planning, they would say saving on probate and taxes is our number one goal. When they left, they said the number one most important thing they got from us was that they did not know that they could protect their surviving spouse or kids from lawsuits and divorces. So that shifted. Uh, We also found out that many, many people did planning, never signed it. So in most of our marketing, it says that we're going to be able to do this for you, even if you've had a bad experience before that was inefficient, you just didn't feel like you can get it done because we get it that there is that barrier there and we give them all the reasons they got to break through and all the things that will happen if they don't all the rewards they'll get and all the punishments they'll receive if they don't do it
0: well we're going to recognize as you're saying uh dave is that they you know people nothing good happens without leaving your comfort zone that cave as you would and you know, none of us really want to do it. Many of us have pretty comfortable caves. We've got comfortable lives. And, to, and, you know, and, and particularly in your field, uh, on the loft side is the estate planning. You know, they usually have a fair amount of money. They're kind of comfortable at that point. But they have something that we have to help them through. And, and this is, when we survey successful business owners, you hit on it that it's about three out of four actually believe that the professional they worked with um, they didn't have confidence in, and a lot of that confidence, I, I'm going to guess, um, all but maybe five percent were technically competent. I mean, they weren't superstars, but you know, some of these issues we're going to, you know, we talk about on a state point aren't overly complicated. But what I really like what you're doing in is helping entrepreneurs make a difference. I want to move away from the estate planning side and go over. And we were talking about uh, you know, Navy SEALs. And for most of us, Navy SEALs make us uncomfortable. And I, I've been waiting to take, like a, we were talking about it before we turned on the camera, uh, I wanted to learn how to meditate. And I'm just one of those kind of guys, even though I'm in California, Silicon Valley, I grew up in upstate New York, small town, just can't do it. I tried it, can't do it. And so, a psychiatrist and a Navy SEAL had partnered, and they were going to teach how to meditate while sniping. <laughs> so, sniper school. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and, and I and I tell you, it was a great experience. I really, it's something I now I am meditating. And it's a, and you know going outside that comfort zone, and that definitely was something that was outside my comfort zone. But you talk about a concept called force multiplier, and you know this commonality we're talking about Navy SEALs. Um, What is that when you're talking with an entrepreneur, that force multiplier you're looking to help them achieve?
1: Let's talk about it in the military context first, and then we'll talk about how we translate this concept over into the civilian world. And I should emphasize that I've always been a civilian. I love and respect. I know you're a Navy man. I've, worked, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of Marines and SEALs through the years, have the deepest respect for people that will risk their lives to maintain this country and the lifestyle we have. But uh, I've always just been in a sort of training or support services aspect there. Um, one of the a good example of a force multiplier in the military is uh, General Colin Powell once said that um, optimism is the ultimate force multiplier. So they're an attitude. And he said he would select Uh, officers under his command for optimism because it made them so much more effective at problem solving and getting out of a tight spot. And whether they were on the logistics side or on the combat side, optimism served them well. A a software example of a military force multiplier might be night vision. So night vision is a technology that allows uh, our operators to see at night. And if you give it to a small force of maybe five operators, that should make them uh, capable of defeating a force of 25 um, of the enemy that do not have the advantage of night vision, if you can choose to engage at night. Uh, having a drone that could give you data and infrared signal information from the ground to supplement your knowledge of what's going on, a massive force multiplier. If, by the way, you give a small team of Navy SEAL operators or other SF operators who've been carefully selected and carefully trained, if you give them night vision and a drone, you're gonna have a massive force multiplier. So force multipliers are just something, whether it's a technology, an attitude, a system, a standard operating procedure, Uh, some aspect of planning, some kind of a tool that multiplies the effectiveness of what you already have, men, resources, dollars marketing tools, whatever. So you can see on the civilian side, what we do is we'll bring in to some events I run and I'm constantly writing on these topics, is what do people learn in clandestine service when they're running a counterinsurgency operation in Iraq uh, as a special forces operator? What did they learn that later when they came out, went into the civilian world and went into business, or in some cases they're advising businesses, uh, that they could use to give those businesses more leverage? And so that's what we talk about as a force multiplier. And to me, of course, the king of force multipliers is enhanced communication skills.
0: Yeah, let me, I mean, what I'd like everybody to take a step back here, you know, if you want an unfair competitive advantage, and it's not really that's unfair, what we're talking about. Yeah, it's it's, it's, unfair. it's it's earned unfair competitive advantage. And let's dive into it, because to me, this is something that so many of us don't invest the time, energy and money into, you know. A skill that we need that will propel us like crazy, and this is so important. I mean, you know, if you're you're in a battlefield, you want an unfair competitive advantage. I mean, it's you know, I, I don't I don't really want the other. I was a Navy pilot. I don't want the other side to have the same equipment. I don't care, you know. And the Navy SEALs, I've had many conversations on how what they want, and not always getting that right now. And that's something a shame on us. But we won't go in the political part here. Dave, but let's go to the communication skill. You know, this is, you know, wh- wh- how do you, I mean, what is communication skill? How do you get it?
1: So their um, enhanced communication skills for me are those that are based on sort of the biology of how we communicate. And by that, I mean, I'll give you a simple example. If, uh, if I say to you, don't think of the color blue, what do you immediately think of? I can't
0: can't help myself. I've I'm right. got that blue sky right
1: there. It's inevitable just to understand the sentence. So when we recognize that there are certain ways and tools uh, that we could develop based on the knowledge of how we process information, um, then we can just begin to use those a little bit more often across more contexts and we get better and better and better at it. We're all good at this. We can all think of a time where we met someone and we immediately formed a bond or a relationship with them, where we trusted them, we were willing to share with them. Um, that's what you're describing is lacking in a lot of relationships when people go to financial advisors or wealth advisors or attorneys. They don't form that initial bond and rapport. And there are things that we could do ethically and appropriately to enhance The bond and the level of trust as well as how quickly it's formed. So, for example, if somebody came to meet with me and I was talking to them about persuasion and I said, listen, there are plenty of times that I still fight with my wife, even knowing everything that I'm about to teach you. But do I fight with her? Way less frequently than I did before I knew and understood these techniques. Yes. Is our relationship radically better as a result of that? Yes, it is. Do I still have disputes with partners over investment we're making in a business? Of course I do. Are they less dramatic? Do they crop up less frequently? Are they resolved more quickly? Yes, they are because of this skill set. So we all know how to do it. Getting us to recognize how we're doing it and when we're doing it and to do it a little bit more often is the goal that I have. Take something that works pretty much automatically, get people to realize how they could use it elegantly and get them to do it a little bit more often. And once they get used to it in one context, to start to spread it. So some people are really comfortable trying this with their kids at home. And some people are comfortable trying it with a spouse or partner. Other people have to try it at work first before they deploy it somewhere else. But once we get it down, I am teaching in a way that calls people's attention to it. They recognize I just did that thing that I learned. It really did work. Now I'll try it more often in more situations.
0: Help me understand, and everyone uh, you know, watching and listening to this, that you know, we, we talk about persuasion and influence and so many times we, we kind of mix the two. What are the differences?
1: Yeah, this is a powerful distinction. I've spoken on this a number of times and it is one of the things that provokes the most comments and questions from other people. They'll say, I did not understand that. And just knowing that has made my life better. So let me explore it. Persuasion is something we can do and we can be taught to do it better and more effectively. It is generally speaking, getting people to think about something and look about at something. Maybe it's a decision they have to make or something that's going on in their lives in a new or different way. And then ultimately getting them to act on it. Um, You know, you and I have talked about that. That might be if you have the best solution for them, you have the best technology for them and you've asked them a bunch of questions and you've ruled out other possibilities and you know you can serve them, then you sort of owe them the willingness to help them make that decision because it's hard to get people to act. So developing persuasion skills is important and useful. But being persuasive is hard work you're constantly having to do these things and use these techniques and be strategic. It's hard work, but it's worth work worth doing. Your real goal, though, ultimately should be to be influential, and this is the long-term view of things. Once you pretty consistently, once or twice or three times, depending on how they make decisions about trust, once you've really listened to a client or a customer or a friend or a spouse or a family member or somebody on your management team, you've listened to them, you've clearly reflected that you got it, you gave them a great solution, and they accepted it and acted on it. Now they trust you and they start to turn to you. That's influence. It's not outbound, it's magnetic, it's inbound. It's when people are coming to you because they say, John, listen to me those last three times. He hasn't led me astray or even if he led me astray, it's because I didn't share all that information with him that I should have and he asked me about it and I didn't tell him and that's probably why it didn't work. But I trust him. And I know he gives me good advice, so I'm going to go ask him this question. Just think about that from a standpoint of influence and persuasion. Who do you listen to more? Somebody that's trying to sell you or persuade you? Or when you've asked an important question to somebody who you trust, you're going to pay way more attention to them. And that's linked to the Zardinic effect that we could talk about later.
0: Okay, let's save that. And I want to just comment, uh, you know, for Dave, for our fellow entrepreneurs, I mean, this is where... You know, there's such a fundamental difference between persuading somebody and you know pitching them and you know kind of the the classic marketing sales where you know we're, we're we're really you know pushing them and you know into whatever action and with influence you know we're attracting them we're getting them excited about that action and 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 when you combine the communication skills uh, that you're you're really talking about and and also with some of the marketing of positioning thought leader i mean this is this is where as entrepreneurs some of the the most successful entrepreneurs in every one of our studies has that ability they've got that position that they've created through you know a marketing persona Uh, they have oftentimes are thought of as a thought leader in their industry but that's not enough. I mean, that's, that's at least what we're seeing.
1: I think you're talking to a sort of systematic way. If, if your listeners have never think what you will of Scott Adams, the cartoonist, mm-hmm. but if you've never read. Well, in listen-
0: what cartoon is he? It's uh, the uh, Dilbert. Dilbert, but not everybody knows that. So we want to just right. make that aware. But Scott
1: uh, talks a lot about the difference between, um, systems and goals. And uh, that's a useful if you study that and you combine that with what we're talking about here and you start to create systems where you're going to be more influential. So you might be creating a marketing system where you reveal information, not just about yourself, but useful information to people so that by the time they get in touch with you, they know how your process works. They know who it's for and who it's not. They know that it's expensive or where it falls in the price range. And you are already positioned. To be influential with them, you may have already even done some survey work or something with them, depending on how they're coming into your funnel, and uh, and and ask them to analyze information or give you answers to important questions. So they know you're asking the right things. They know you have the right credentials. That's a very small piece of it. They know that you're uh, seeking the answers to the right questions and you've already built trust. So I think a lot of what you are saying your best entrepreneurs do, they're building this strategic idea of being good at persuasion, but even better at positioning themselves to be influential.
0: Well, let's go to what you talked about, the Zygarnik uh, effect. And uh, I had to look it up when you you said, I'm not familiar with it. I'd like you to share with everybody, what are we talking about here and why is it something they should know?
1: Yeah, so you don't have to immerse yourself in the whole psychology of the Zyginik effect to get some use out of it. Uh, Like, for example, you don't have to know how to run a nuclear power plant to turn on the light switch and get the benefit of light. So let me cut to the quick tactical chase with this. Um, If you uh, create curiosity... Uh, then the person, you'll change the other person who you're interacting with, you'll change their neurochemistry. So, for example, if I'm talking to my kids and I look around very suspiciously and lean in and say, where's your mother? And I stop. That is going to create the zargynic effect because whenever a dad says to a kid, where's your mother? What comes after that is bound to be good. So it's gonna create the neurochemistry of maybe a little anxiety, definitely a lot of curiosity, and they're gonna be paying much more attention to what you're about to say. Now, obviously, at work, that would be weird. You can't say, if you're trying to get Joan's attention, Joan, where's your mother? That would just be you know, too odd. But you can say, Joan, I'm just curious, and pause for a second. And then Joan is going to be wondering, what you're curious about. And that changes her neurochemistry where she pays much more much more attention. And there's a lot of studies being done with functional MRI, FMRIs, and with blood studies where they're looking at the neurochemistry of the blood. And what they're finding is that when we employ curiosity and the Zargynic effect selectively and carefully and intelligently and strategically, that we get very good results. People pay much more attention and they're much more likely to act on what it is that you're telling them.
0: Well, and that's what we want them to do is to act on what we're telling them. So that's very powerful. You also have a six words uh, that you play around with to, to actually accelerate success even more. Tell me about those, Dave.
1: Yeah, so if anybody wants to see that, I think if you just Google, you may have it in the show notes. But if you just Google Dave Freeze and the six-word question, you'll get video of this, so you can sort of follow it in a little bit more methodical way. But basically, um, you know, let's go back to dealing with kids. Uh, it's easier to think about this with a family member where you're not going to be rejected than maybe trying it out for the first time at work. But I'll show you how to use it both ways. If um, if you're a parent. And you're trying to get your child to do something and they don't want to. Typically, it's because they're afraid of it or afraid of failure. They don't have mastery over it. And so I found when I was a young parent that if I asked my kids to do something uh, and they said, uh, no, I can't. I can't do that, dad. That my initial gut level response as as a supportive parent would be to say, yes, you can, which seems supportive, but it's not. We're going right to argumentation. Uh, we said, do it. They said they can't. We're now telling them they can't. So they go inside and they say, I'm going to come up with a whole list of why I'm wrong, right and dad's wrong. That does nothing to advance the ball. So I use this technique called the six word question. So if they said, no, I can't, I say, oh, I, I know you feel like you can't yet. Now, that's an interesting language pattern. They said, I can't. I said, oh, I know you feel like you can't. So I'm in apparent agreement with them. But then I added the presupposition Yet. So this is one of those biological things in order to understand my sentence when I use the presupposition yet, which implies that they will or presupposes they will be able to do it. They must imagine themselves being able to do it. So I say, I know you feel like you can't yet, but I'm just curious or I'm just wondering. So that's non-judgmental, And then I look around, trigger the Zyginik effect. And I say, what would happen if you did or what would happen if you could? Now, they cannot hear that question without going through another exercise of imagining themselves doing it. Or I might even add what would happen if you did it really well, or if you could do it really well already. So these language patterns have them mentally rehearse and imagine what it's like being able to do it. So it overcomes one of those central objections. It's very, very powerful stuff. And the six-word question combines a number of things, use of a presupposition, the zarginic effect. Um, there's a lot going on in that little language pattern. At work,
0: oh, sorry. No, I was going to, let me just put up, I'm, I'm just putting the video up on YouTube. And, you know, you just, you can go ahead. The six-word question uh, can enhance your persuasion persuasion abilities and get it, and we'll have... This in the show notes as well, because this is really uh, so powerful, uh, Dave. And, you know, I mean, it's just one of the things I'm just thinking, this is uh, your legal background. And, you know, so many attorneys understand the power of words. They do it in the written language, but so few use it for communication. And you've really been a master. And I want to go to the next segment real quick, which is the uh, Book of the day, and what's what I, I find so interesting is you took the hardest subject on communication, you made it happen, and that's in your book. Tell us a little bit. I'm going to put it up on the screen. The language of uh, uh, parenting, building great family relationships at all ages. I can't. I don't have kids, but I have enough friends that have offered me at uh, least own programs to know this uh. is challenging. You've seen them before. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Well, I think they're perfect because I only see them for the day type thing. But tell us a little bit about what's in the book and why you took on this so difficult communication uh, challenge.
1: So I would go and speak to lots of conferences and conventions, and one of the things I noticed as a pattern, and there's a clue there, watch for these, is people would come up to me after the event or email me, lots of people, which is very rare when you're a speaker, and they would say, Dave, I'm using this technique or that technique you taught me. It's transformational at the office. But what would you do if your 14 year old daughter said this? Or what would you do if your 23 year old son said this? And so I recognized since I got these questions that this was a problem. People were having trouble translating what they were good at and practiced in the work situation into life at home with their spouse and their kids. So I wrote this book, which is more or less how spies and interrogators knowing what they know would raise their children in the language patterns they use. It is a mini Bible of some of the most powerful tools, both strategic and tactical tools of great communicators. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And this is the book that Steve Forbes wrote that I was a uh, grandmaster of persuasion skills. And I'll tell you, Steve Forbes has five daughters. So anytime a billionaire with five daughters tells you a parenting book is good, you should pay attention.
0: Well, to that. He, he has a big extended family as well. So he yes, he knows does. The power of that. Let me go to the next section, which is resources and <laughs> You know, everybody, uh, Dave is going to be interested in learning more about what you do and how you help people really, you know, use communication and influence so powerfully. Let me pull up your website, and uh, what are they going to find at successtechnologies.com?
1: So you'll want to go slash blog if you could bring that up for them. That is packed with a sort of translation of here's science, here's what we know about how the brain works. Here's how people are using it in marketing, or management, or communications, or in blogging, whatever you know channel they may be delivering through. Um, so that successtechnologies.com/blog it's full of you know free resources that will get you thinking about this and book recommendations and things. If you want to come to live events that we run, where we bring in Navy SEALs, counterinsurgency operators, uh, interrogators, negotiators, people have served in all different branches of the armed services. To teach force multipliers, then, um, you know, you can follow me on social media and you'll see announcements there periodically as we're running them. And I am uh, Facebook.com slash David, D-A-V-I-D, Freeze, F-R-E-E-S. And on Twitter, I'm slash Dave, D-A-V-E, Freeze. And you want to make sure you get them the right way or you'll get all kinds of wrong,
0: but you the wrong people. <laughs> Well, no, this is great. I know people are going to want to reach out again. We'll have all the show notes above me here, aesnation.com. Make sure, you know, one of the things we want to do is we want to execute. None of this is any good. if just... Dave knows how to do it and now I do it when we each as fellow entrepreneurs do it. So let me just go over the key takeaways that I'm walking away with. Number one, the force multiplier. I love that concept. I love having an unfair competitive advantage and this is you know in every one of our businesses we have the ability to do this is really the second point is one that's universal that we all have is this ability to have enhanced communication skills we invest the time energy and money and so often you know as entrepreneurs we're the spokesman for our firms we're the subject matter experts our communication with everybody out there is just so important we're no longer just marketing in today's world one-to-one. It's one to many. And and this is where it really multiplies. Also understand the difference between persuasion and influence. And you know, all of us are in it for the long term, that ability to influence people to, to in marketing, to pull them toward you, to attract. And then when you're really working with them one-on-one, helping them by understanding, you know, they want you to Get them first, and so we want to understand them, and then make sure that we can solve their most pressing challenges. Uh, you know, and then really using some understanding. You know, we don't want to be manipulative in the sense for evil, but we can be for good. And the Zagarni effect is a, a great way of just a tool, as well as the six words. I mean, what would happen if you could? I mean, uh, you know what that pre-substitution that you are gonna be able to do it. You're working with your team, your family, your clients, your prospective clients. This is so powerful. Dave, I wanna thank you again for joining us here today. Uh, I wanna encourage everybody to go to the show notes, the transcription, read through it. There was a lot of subtle information that Dave gave us that is very, very powerful. And above all, execute, execute, execute. You know, your clients, your future clients are counting on you. Don't let them down. We wish you the best of success.
1: John, thank you.
0: Exceptional, remarkable breakthrough. AESnation.com.